Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie discussions and reviews of classic films and new releases with ratings and recommendations. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We are your horror hosts, The Wolfman. Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Gilman Joel Robertson standing knee deep in the swamp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Straight in the swamp, Joel. <laughs> Life happens. We are transitioning things a little bit. Joel is going to be cutting back on some of his time on the show. We're not really changing the show other than you have to listen to my, as I described it earlier to these guys offline, a rat in a shoebox voice rather you than Joe, Joel's beautiful golden voice made for the radio waves. <laughs> um, but I'm going to just start hosting the shows because I know that I'm going to have to be posting them and schedules are crazy. And, you know, it's look, the last year has been hard on everybody, but don't worry. We're not going anywhere. Uh, we'll, we'll still be here. And I don't know if you want to speak to that, Joel, but life, you know, life changes and the show's going to keep going. The dynamics might slightly shift, but not in hopefully a noticeable way for the listeners. Yes. I first off do not think you sound like a rat in a shoebox. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so let's just get that out of the way right now. Right. Uh, <laughs> that that might sound a little bit more like it. Uh, se- yeah. Secondly, uh, yes, it is on me. Ultimately, I first off, I love doing HMP. I, I think anybody who's new to the show may not be aware, but I this is I've been here what now two and a half years ish. Right, it was January yeah. of 2019. I think is when I officially started with you guys, and I, I had some pretty big shoes to fill uh, when Jay of the Dead uh, left. So. I think that this is a great way of just kind of shifting dynamics a little bit. I am excited. I still very much want to be a part of HMP and the HMP family. I didn't want. I don't want anybody to be thinking like, "Oh, oh no, what's happening? Is there, you know, is there dissension in the ranks?" No, this is just a slight shift in things. We're just trying to mix things up and try things a little bit differently, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, make our lives easier. Like, why not do things the easy way? Why are we being so hard on ourselves, guys? Let's let's do it the easy way. As we mentioned, this is a Frankensteinian episode. I am going to bring you a feature review of Army of the Dead, which is my first post-pandemic theatrical experience, and I'm excited to talk to you about that. We've got several documentaries that we're going to talk about, including In Search of Darkness Two, part of our Shutter sponsored Screaming Online segment that Joel's going to help us out with. We also have reviews of Unhinged, one that we're excited to hear Dave's talk uh, point of view on after Joel's rave reviews last year. Uh, the Night Strangler, The Sons of Sam, The Day the Sky Exploded, In the Deep Woods, Lisa, Moon of the Wolf. And the first thing I wanted to give a little mini review of here is a Hulu series that uh, I can't remember who sent it to me, so I apologize to the listener who I'm blanking on your name. Um, But this was recommended to me by a listener. It's a true crime investigative series. I haven't been able to watch a lot of horror. My mental health has just been in a place where I'm basically only watching stand-up comedy, but then for some reason also true crime <laughs> documentaries, which, which is never horrifying. That's never horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, definitely more horrifying than a lot of the horror movies we would normally watch. But um, this one is called Sasquatch, right? Oh, I, yes, it was great. Did, did you hear about it? I watched it. Oh, yeah, awesome. Well, I, let's talk I, about okay, it. So yeah. it's not, 
in any normal stretch of the imagination a horror movie but it's no. this crazy true crime story where horrifying murders do take place the question is is whether those murders are committed by an actual sasquatch and the film takes place in an area off of a crazy little road called spy rock road um, in an area of California where marijuana has been grown for decades, even before it was legal, which it is now. And this is a, a wooded area in kind of Northern California where people, I think it's a three County area, if I'm not mistaken, but people would grow these weed patches and they'd hide them and the feds would come in in helicopters and, and try to rip them out. And the movie begins with an investigative journalist talking to the camera and saying, you know, when he was in his twenties, he's on this pot farm embedded doing a story. And these two guys come bursting into the cabin tweaking out. (laughs) And they say, we just saw a Sasquatch rip these people to shreds. And they're like, what? And they're like, we stumbled upon this camp and their bodies are torn apart. They're ripped to oblivion. They're, they're shreds of, flesh they're no longer human being human beings and the guy just doesn't really know what to think he kind of forgets about it for 20 plus years and then is revisiting the story now as a seasoned journalist and is kind of trying to track down this actually happened am i the only person who knows about this were these guys just tweakers and they don't know what they were talking about or did something actually happen is there a sasquatch in the area or is there something even darker and real going on in this area with you know the drug trade that's going on in this area. And it is a fascinating documentary. It's funny because one of the other documentaries I just watched was, um, I think it's called green day, the early years, but it's just like an online documentary about the early days of green day. And I was thinking about green day when I was watching this, because one of the guys interviewed in Sasquatch is this guy named Larry Livermore or Lawrence Livermore, who, if you were into the punk scene in the nineties, he's like a, extremely iconic person, which they never bring up in Sasquatch. But he is the guy who started Lookout Records, which is the record label that signed all of these really important punk bands from Pansy Division and Screeching Weasel, but also like Operation Ivy, who was a major touchdown, and Green Day, who everyone's heard of Green Day, obviously. And um, he lived in this little cabin in the woods. That was always known. And the way that Green Day started is their early band, uh, Sweet Children, <laughs> It was Mike and Billy Joe played at a cabin show in the woods at Larry's house. And Larry saw them play. And the drummer for Larry's band, the lookouts uh, was this kid named Trey cool. This like weird, like little kid. And that those three guys ended up forming what we know as green day. And that had always been like this bit of lore in the back of my mind. As long as I've known about the band green day, they started playing the show in a cabin in the woods. And then all of a sudden I'm watching Sasquatch. And it's this harrowing story, this murder mystery. And all of a sudden there's Larry Livermore talking about his cabin that he lived at. I'm like, Holy crap. And the time checks out too. Like when all this was happening is like, when Green Day started in those woods on that same road. And I was just like, what? And then when I, when I watched this uh, Green Day, the early years documentary, a couple days after I saw Sasquatch, not again, not even really thinking about it. It shows Spy Rock Road. And I'm like, get out of there, guys. Like, get out of there. You don't want to be in Spy Rock Road. Um, and uh, anyway, it's extremely horrifying little tale. Um, I'd recommend people check it out if you like true crime documentaries. I don't know if it will appeal appeal to horror fans, but there are definitely some horrific moments uh, in that. What did you think about it, Joel? I really liked it a lot. And I think David Holthouse, he's the uh, primary 
figure, right? He's the investigative yes. journalist, I right. believe. And 24 hour party people like he was known for, he yeah. embedded himself within like all right skinhead groups. I mean, he was, he's one of those types of reporters. Yeah. Yeah. He, I, I think he's definitely drawn to the darker side of humanity. And what was interesting about this, I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about this and I saw it, I was totally down. In fact, my first thought was, Oh man, when Wolfman finds out there's a Sasquatch documentary that looks like it's taking it serious. And like, I, like <laughs> yeah. you know, with all, all the UFO talk that's coming out lately, the I'm like, Oh, are we about to get like a Sasquatch equivalent of, U, of UFO reveals? <laughs> yeah. And I, I will, I will tell you now, if that is your dream and hope, you will be really disappointed. I don't want to give anything <laughs> away, but it is much, much less about that idea as much as sort of like about the darker nature of humanity. If you ever saw the series Murder Mountain, I believe it's on Netflix, deals mm. in this exact same area and it gets into all the missing persons and and just all of the the history of that area and how the hippies, you know, and the uh, the people that were back to what they call them back to land, back to the landers, the you know, that yeah. went out to that area initially to sort of start these communes and things and how it just sort of devolved into just this you know very dangerous area and uh yeah it, it's a fascinating documentary if you like true crime um it's got it's definitely has i'd say horror elements to it in, in the way that people can treat each other um but it, it's definitely oh worth gosh. a watch definitely worth it yeah i um i've got a good friend who i've known most of my life who is involved in the marijuana trade now legally but for much of the time i've known this person not legally um and did a lot of dealings in this area even after again after it was legal where they had to go into this community and it was, sounded terrifying even before i knew anything about it so I told him about the series. I'm like, you've got to watch Sasquatch. I'm so curious, like what you would think about it. He's like, oh, I don't know. I saw that Murder Mountain. Everyone's blowing things out of proportion. It's not <laughs> really like that. Blah 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 blah. So he watches Sasquatch and texts me. He's like, that's exactly what it's like. Wow. <laughs> <It's> like, <"No." laughs> oh, that's that's great. Yeah. No, I would yeah. I would highly recommend. Yeah. For yeah. for me, this this series, I'm going to say well, like eight point five out of ten. I, okay. Yeah. I gave it a seven out of 10, but I could go high. I mean, it's, I think pro probably because I really wanted it to be a Sasquatch story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's definitely recommended. Check it out. It's on Hulu. Um, I would stream it for sure. I have been watching a lot of these true crime documentaries. I watched Soaked in Bleach, which is about the murder of Kurt Cobain or death of Kurt Cobain. Yeah. 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 The alleged. <laughs> yeah. And so that was fascinating, but yeah, Joel, you watched one that is on my list, but I haven't had a chance to check out yet. Yes. Yes. And actually there, there was another one I won't go into now, but I will recommend people see it. If you're, if you're like me and have this very macabre fascination with uh, serial killers, which I suppose a lot of people who listen to uh, H and P might um, that, you know, I, the so night it's kind of hit or miss. Some people really can't handle that yeah, stuff. because because to be fair it's real right yeah, you know, yeah. And, and i think and i when i was younger i had a i feel like i had a higher tolerance for it i've noticed as i've gotten older mainly just i guess you know which you know life experience i it's changed it's it's changed me a bit in that regard that being said there was one about the night stalker that was oh, i saw that yeah the, I, the netflix one yes the netflix one Oof, that was intense. It man. was super intense. And so then comes along the Sons of Sam, A Descent into Darkness, which I was always familiar with the Son of Sam story, but I feel like much less so than I was with Bundy and Rollins and Dahmer, right. like all the usual suspects. Um, but I was always aware of it. Now, the thing I wasn't aware of it was some of the 
I'll call it conspiracies around it without because I don't want to go into anything. So this is a four part series on Netflix. I will tell you on the front end, if you are into this kind of you know true crime, uh, historical information, and if you're somebody and, and we've covered this quite a bit on the show who's into the satanic panic. Mm, this will really interest you because it oh, wow. gets heavily. I would argue it's 30 to 40 percent son of Sam and the rest is dealing more in like satanic panic cults influences dark evils and and what people believe could have driven this whole situation to happen and it's this one much like the uh sasquatch one is focusing on maury terry uh the actual imdb description is the son of sam case grew into lifelong obsession from journalist maury terry who became convinced that the murders were linked to a satanic cult as I was watching the documentary, I had the vaguest recollection of like watching an episode or at least seeing an episode of Geraldo and them talking about that kind of stuff. And this guy, Maury Terry, had wrote a book um, called The Ultimate Evil. And it was all about the son of Sam, but specifically not just the son of Sam, but of how it was all connected to this very just like think Epstein, like how it's this like intricate web of you know deception and just international intrigue and trafficking and all this stuff but now make it satanic because like that's wow oh yeah that dude takes it pretty much to that level it gets some of the things he ties it to it's really wacky and it's interesting because i will tell you this coming out of it this is much more maury terry's story than it is david berkowitz and i think uh, the negative i've heard from people about this has been oh i thought it was gonna be like like what the night snarker was where it's primarily focusing just on him and his crimes and and it gets into that but it's much more about this guy's just obsession and how it takes him down this very dark path and he gets really drawn into a very very dark dark world and it's it's i thought it was fascinating i i really recommend it again if you're into this type of material um it it was just disturbing and interesting and i think it also in my mind shows the nuance of how some things can be just overblown over exaggerated total conspiracy thinking thinking but yet have truth to them have have grounded in some like some things some of the clues some of the the roads that 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 maury terry was going down you're like holy crap like that part of it might actually be true and it's almost like if any part of what he said is true it's it it almost negates the fact that like 90 percent of it might just be complete imagination overblown just any little thing that he came up with you're like it completely changes Everything like it changes the dynamic of all of of what happened, at least what was put out there by the NYPD at the time wow. and the media. So totally. Rec- yeah, it really, I think you dig it. I, it's, it's a trip. It is. It's, and it's really like the thing I thought, too, as I was watching is like, oh, man, after us you know, doing the whole satanic panic conversation in the past and mm-hmm. th- this definitely, definitely would tie it. So it's, again, true crime. This one, though, even more than Sasquatch, I think, falls into the horror category because it really gets into like satanic cults of the late 70s and or actually even the early 70s all the way into the they do go into the 80s obviously because but by then berkowitz is you know apprehended and in prison and, and all that kind of thing uh but uh, yeah it's really fascinating did you give a rating and i missed it or no no i have not i'd say this this one i would give at least an eight eight point five two awesome. as well and totally how did you like this compared to night stalker um 
I found Night Stalker, like you said, more intense. Like it was Night Stalker really upset me. <laughs> like I kept checking all my kids' windows like multiple times. Like all, yeah. like all my OCD tendencies totally kicked in. I'm like checking them like eight times a night uh, because it really freaked me out how easily he got into people's houses. Like I'm like, what the hell, people? Yeah. Lock your door. <laughs> well, if it's not debilitating to you, though, I do feel like it's like a helpful survival guide, to be oh, honest. It <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, I like no one's coming through my windows, Jack. No way. Yeah. No, no way. So yeah, I, uh, I got a little thing for my grandma's sliding glass door after i watch yep, yep exactly yeah you gotta like, really cut the uh like a broom handle so you can like yeah. use it as a brace you betcha uh but yeah this is not that intense but it's unsettling like it's very creepy like it's it's far you know it's like it's like that to me what what would you rate night stalker just out of curiosity i would give that one around the same probably like an eight okay. yeah yeah i i gave night stalker an eight and i loved it yeah. i I'm, I'm really excited to watch this now because well I, I don't know. Kagan and I are actually doing a documentary that touches the world of the satanic panic also. So I, now I have to watch this to make sure we don't repeat anything. But also, I, it's just something I, it's something that I'm so deeply fascinated with that whole era and that whole movement. Yeah, I, I don't, don't think this would mess up anything you guys are doing. I think it'll be a great resource potentially. Yeah, I mean, that's book. cool. I mean, it, well, it's the thing is it's such a huge topic because yeah. there's a story in every state, you know, there's yeah. like a... <laughs> But yeah. um, anyway, so cool. That's awesome. I can't wait to check that out. It's been on my list. Um, I want to move really quickly into my primary feature view for Army of the Dead. Mr. Ward, how would you like to make $50 million on a warm summer's evening? On a train bound for nowhere, met up with a gambler. We were both too tired to sleep, so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness. The boredom overtook us, and he began to speak. He said, son, I've made a life out of reading people's faces. Think about everything we did, all those people we saved. The way they held their Look what it does. You don't mind my saying, what if? I can see you're out of base. Not just once. We did something just for us. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath the strip. With a 32 hour window to get it out. Find the safe. This should be a simple in and out. It's not too late to go back. Dead is a Zack Snyder film. You may have heard of him recently in the media. <laughs> the release the Snyder cut has kind of been a major catchphrase of the last five years, um, which did eventually happen, shockingly, um, against all odds. But before he was a household name for making people very angry around the topics of Superman, uh, he was making zombie movies, man. He did the remake of Dawn of the Dead, which I think a lot of people would agree is one of the best horror remakes to ever be made. And he really popularized along with 28 Days Later and and, and a couple other films around that time, the idea of a fast-moving zombie. And I think he did it so well in that film where even though I prefer The Shamblers, 
uh, he, I bought into those zombies that he portrayed in that film. I was like, yeah, he did this right. Um, Army of the Dead is interesting. It is well, it was the first time I got to go back to the theater post pandemic. I think previous to this, the last horror movie I saw in theaters was The Invisible Man, and then the final movie I saw in theaters I watched. Um, what is that? I'm blanking on what it was called. It's uh, like a troll magical movie from DreamWorks. Um, I can't remember what it's called with my kids. Uh, Jody Horror guys knows what I'm talking about. But anyway, that was the last uh, movie I saw in theaters permanent, period. And I have not been in society, man, like because my father-in-law had cancer and was undergoing chemo th- treatment. And because I was taking care of my grandma, who's 94 years old, I really have probably quarantined harder than most people in the country. And so, you know, I literally went to maybe a public place six times in the last year and a half. Like I, I've been extremely insanely careful uh, because the people I was with really would die if they uh, were exposed. So I was being very careful and it was the weird, it was the most releasing feeling to be sitting in a movie theater again. Um, now being vaccinated and just feeling like I can't believe I'm even here. It was so joyous, but, um, and then it was great to watch a fun, fast paced, intense zombie movie. I was a little bummed at first that the movie took place in Las Vegas because I'm not a huge fan of the resident evil franchise, but the one that I tolerate and that I, I like is the one that takes place in Las Vegas. I think it's the third film. So I was like, do something different. We they already did that, but they do. They do something very different here. This is a, essentially a casino heist movie mixed with an action movie in the world of a zombie movie. You know, so it's Ocean's Eleven meets Resident Evil Two is basically what this feels like. As if I had to like describe it as as something along those lines. It's there. They are a group of people who live on the outskirts of Las Vegas, which there was a giant zombie outbreak. And so Las Vegas is quarantined and the owner of a casino comes to a kind of a well-known guy in the area named uh, played by Dave Bautista. And he says, Hey, the government has already given me my um, refund for the money that I had in my vault in my casino. And so it's sitting there that and no one's going to uh, touch it. They don't know it exists. Um, the government is going to drop a nuke on Las Vegas to wipe out all the zombies that are in the quarantine zone. And if I want you to go in and get my money out of the vault and get back, you know, and you can have a cut. And so he puts together this ragtag team of people that he knew from when Las Vegas got taken over to folks who were in the military to some of my favorite characters are these YouTubers that are just killing zombies on YouTube. And he's like, we're going to get these guys. They're badass. (laughs) So he recruits them to get to, to his team. And, um, yeah, it kind of feels like aliens or something where you've got like this just group of characters, you know, that are in this situation that's very horrifying. There's a police officer played by Theo Rossi. His performance is so good. I just absolutely loved him in the film. Tignatara, who's a well-known stand-up comedian. She's in the film. She is fantastic in the movie. I love her small role that she plays. Um, there is a character named, uh, an actor named Omar Hardwick, Omari Hardwick, who I wasn't familiar with. He is fantastic in it. Truly 90% of the cast was really good. I do feel like even though there was um, 
a few weak spots. I think Dave Bautista is a good actor. Like I really enjoy him in the guardians of the galaxy movies. And he's true. He's clearly trying to be taken more seriously in this. He's kind of underplaying his performance. And I don't think the charisma comes through to the level you'd want to see as your lead, but I still do like him in it. Um, Ella Purnell is plays his daughter. She is fantastic. Anna de la Reguera is uh, in the film. She, People probably most know her from um, Nacho Libra. She's Jack Jack Black's love interest in that film. Uh, she's really good in it. There is a character named Dieter who I, I just felt like the actor wasn't bad, but I just felt like the casting was wrong. I think they could have done it so much better. There's a guy named Raul Castillo who's in this. He's like now one of my new favorite actors. He's so good in this movie. Nora Arnazader is in it. She's okay. And... Um, Sorry, there's one other character whose name I'm trying to figure out. Okay, her name is Samantha Wynn is the character. She is so cool. She's not one of the major characters, but she she's so good in it. She calls to mind um, one of just my all-time favorite, or actually two of my all-time favorite characters, played by Jeanette Goldstein, who's uh, Private Vasquez in aliens she's so good in that and then she's also diamondback and near dark um that's who this character feels like and you're just like i love it like <laughs> you just want her to be in every scene of the movie and fortunately she's not but she's she's really good the, the the whole cast is pretty good i would say the downside of this film is that it's just mostly a cgi heavy action fest and it does a lot of those things that zach center's um criticized for a lot like just extended music montages just like he's basically got like six music videos in the film that feel like you know most editors would be like well we can cut that in half but i think it's something special because you don't see it very often even though it like kind of goes against i don't know traditional norms of filmmaking i do i do like that he does i didn't love all the cgi i hate that this i'm not a fan of super zombies and there are super zombies aplenty in this film that's one of the things i hate about the resident evil franchise it's just like just make them zombies like that's enough like there's there's so many fun things you can do um i don't love that we have these super zombies anyway that's that is my biggest criticism and it's a pretty big criticism because it's so much of the film they're also they i think in some ways this feels like that era post dawn of the dead when just everybody was making zombie movies and the people making them didn't necessarily know the rules of zombie movies. So you had things like super zombies, you had things like animals becoming zombies, which doesn't fit in the original George Romero lore. Although he did change that later on in his film series as well. So those are kind of the weak points for me, but I thought it was a blast. I mean, I think the pitch sounds more fun than it is. I think if you say it's, um, you know, it's a, uh, uh, the walking dead meets oceans 11. Like that's a really fun pitch to me. And I, you know, but I think it's, it is more resident evil. It is more, a little bit silliness, a lot more CGI, a lot more action. And that those are the places where I wasn't as excited about it. But if you're an action fan and you don't mind a CGI fest, you might have a blast during this movie. I, I still had fun. I still enjoyed it. And it was certainly great to get back to the movie theater. It just felt like a gift. So I appreciated that. Um, have you guys heard anything about this movie or any I, thoughts about the movie? It, it's, it's releasing in my area this coming weekend. See, unfortunately, in my area, the theaters are only open on the weekend still. Oh. I have one. The one that I've been going to since 2001 
isn't even open yet. They haven't even reopened the doors yet. And oh, I'm wow. really scared. It's a regal and I'm really afraid that they might not. Uh, but the other theater in my area, they're only open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, at least now. Maybe in the summer that'll change. I'm hoping it changes. But Army of the Dead is one of the ones that they're announcing for, I think it's the Labor Day, I'm, I'm not Labor Day, Memorial Day weekend. And I'm anxious to see it. I'm, I'm hoping I can even do maybe a double feature of that plus Godzilla versus Kong, which I still haven't seen, but I really want to see on the big screen. So I actually went to the theater to watch Soft Spiral. That's why I went <laughs> went to yeah. the, the theater. But then I didn't realize that this had been released. And I was like, oh, man, what should I do? And Spiral had been getting kind of mixed reviews. And so I thought, I'll take a chance on this. I, I like Zack Snyder. So um, right. I did find out after watching the movie that this was a Netflix film. So it is going to be available on Netflix probably before this episode drops. So everyone should be able to check this out right now. But I would say it is the kind of movie you wouldn't mind seeing in theaters because it is a big, blustery film yeah it's playing near me already and i am thinking i'm probably not gonna be able to see it this weekend but i'm gonna try to catch it before because i know it's supposed to i think it's supposed to start the 20 as we're recording this is the 20th i think the 21st is when it's supposed to start on netflix so tomorrow um so i uh, i still would like to see it on the big screen it looks like a big sp- screen experience to me if you I, like action if you don't mind cgi watch this in a theater otherwise it it will be a great film to catch on netflix okay. and you I, be I, I have just missed the theater so much i yeah. just can't wait to get back and I, I have a, I have a day off on Friday, and that's my plan. I'm planning to go up to the theater and just spend all day there if I yeah. can. Godzilla versus Kong first. I think you'll really Absolutely. love seeing. Yeah, that I want to see that, and I, I want to see Army of the Dead. I want to see them both. Yep. Well, I love this movie. Um, I, I am going to give it a 7.5 rating wise because of the CGI, because it was more action than I wanted, because of the super zombies, and because there were a couple of casting choices that didn't totally work for me. But I had a blast i loved everything else about it and i think it's a great entry in the zombie subgenre so i yeah i said check it out see in the theater i probably will buy this actually on blu-ray if it's ever available i don't know how netflix will handle that but yeah it's a definite stream if you want to catch it on netflix as well cool okay at this point in the show let's move on to our shutter sponsored screaming online segment And welcome to our Shudder sponsored Screaming Online segment. Shudder is a streaming service with the best selection of horror, thriller, and supernatural movies, series, and originals. From Hollywood favorites and cult classics to original series and critically acclaimed new genre films, you won't find anywhere else. Streaming uncut and commercial free right to your favorite devices. Some notable titles that are available on Shudder now Season 2 of Greg Nicotero's Creep Show, The Power, Boys from Country Hell, Fried Berry, the Reckoning, which is from horror master Neil Marshall, director of The Descent, Dog Soldiers, and some episodes of Game of Thrones, Psycho Gorman, and The Wicker Man from 1973, which is one we're going to be covering in our summer episode here pretty soon, Midsommar. At Shudder, you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films for only $5.99 a month or $56.99 per year. And you can extend the normal 7-day free trial to a 30-day free trial by using our promo. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment on the planet, which is why everybody and their best friend calls it the Netflix for horror. You have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices, including Apple devices, Android devices, Xbox, Amazon Fire, Google Chromecast, Roku, and more. 
and we'll tell you how to get that deal and support HMP after Joel's review. For our Shutter sponsored segment, I have In Search of Darkness Part 2, and I feel like the vast majority of everyone listening to this episode knows about this movie. Um, and probably many of you have at the very least seen In Search of Darkness Part 1. And of course, if you if you aren't familiar, I'll just give you the quick uh, Imdaba synopses. So it is the follow-up to In Search of Darkness from 2019, and it dives deeper into the practical effects decade of 80s horror movies with all new interviews from genre icons and industry experts alongside the original cast. Um, yes, this is playing on Shudder. If you liked the first In Search of Darkness, which I feel like most people did, I, I know you're a fan, right, Dave? Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it's 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 very long. I don't know. How long was this one? This one is uh, pretty comparable. It's four hours and 23 minutes. Yeah, that's around what I'm not too far off from what the other one is. And I loved every second of it. And um, I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing this. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about it. Yeah, it's a very worthy follow-up in that it it follows a lot of the same format you get lots of interviews with you know various genre icons i mean my goodness i mean right off the bat like i was so happy to see tom atkins I, and he was in the first one as i recall right i'm, I'm 99 percent sure he was in the first it's been a while ah, since i've watched boy, the first. It's, it's been a while since i've seen it but i would think so yeah i mean how, how can you do an 80s documentary without tom atkins yeah, of course and there was a lot of people in this that i recognized from the first but there's a few that i wasn't sure and again i haven't seen the first one since uh it was uh since it came out so i could remember everybody but for instance um like uh clancy brown i didn't remember him being in the first one but he was in this one no i don't remember him from the first one either that's awesome and laurie uh, Cardill or Cardilli. I, I, I always remember her dad was Chili Billy C Cardill or Cardilli. I, I, I can't. That's from your neck of the woods, actually, right? With uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, yes. And she's, of course, right. from Day of the Dead. And uh, but I mean, there, there's I mean, and then all, all of the, all the greats, Carpenter's in this, Cunningham's in this, Barbara Crampton is in this, Joe Dante is in this, Keith David is in this, Robert England. I mean, the list goes on and on. Joe Bob, of course, Nancy Allen. I mean, the list is vast. <laughs> Of all the people that are in this movie. And it's wonderful to see them. And it does that really cool thing that it, it goes, it doesn't just go year by year, which it does do that. It you know, starts in 1980 and we get you know a little clip of the trailer and then we go right into the the various people uh, talking about it. And, and there's also people, you know, like podcasters and, and well-known YouTubers and, and people like that who, who give their commentary about it. But then we also get the, the feedback from the various horror icons that are featured. But it also does the thing where it has segments in between that deals with various things that were of the time and so that's I, what they did in the first yes, one yeah yes. and that's what i loved i love that just as much they take a year and then they go into this segment yes. and, and look at a spe specific um I, I guess sort of focus focus on a specific topic and i loved that about the original yeah and i don't want to go into what each one is i mean there's there's several i mean it's a four and a half hour long documentary so you know there's it definitely goes into several different areas um i would say the thing that makes this one <laughs> Definitely the thing that jumped out at me as being different was the movies that were covered in that I feel like the first one and again going purely from memory a lot of the movies they covered were they did a lot of obscure ones but I think there was also a lot of well known ones in that. Yes. 
Yes, I, there were, and it made sense, right? I mean, it's the first one out the gate. You want to get right. hit, hit all the hit all the points that people are gonna people are gonna be really ticked if you don't mention, you know, Hellraiser or or, or what have you. Um, and so this one though gets into quite a few of the sequels, and it does get into some more obscure titles. One that I'm not gonna lie, I'm gonna let it out the bag. I was so happy they covered Dead Heat. They freaking covered Dead Heat in this movie. I was so happy that oh, Dead nice. Heat got some love. Um, Steve Johnson, who did the effects on Dead Heat, talked about it. Talked about Vincent Price being in it, and uh, it was just uh, it was it was cool because they go down this a bit of a rabbit hole uh, uh, with some titles like that. That I know I was super happy, and there was even a couple that. I was even not that familiar with. There was one. Um, it's a Japanese film, I believe. Tetsuo, the Iron Man. You know, you know that, yeah. that picture. I, I, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and that's crazy. And it's it's Japanese, correct? I believe so. And, and the uh, the director, they actually have him, and you know, with subtitles, and they interview him, and it's wonderful because he goes into a lot about that film, and and yeah, and so there's a lot of really just cool things like that, and um, there were there were a few other titles that I was actually not even that familiar with. I I I'd say at least one or two that I'm not even sure I'd heard of before, and that you know, usually I've at least heard of <laughs> a lot of titles. Yeah, I may not have seen everything, but I've at least heard of the movie. There was at least one or two I right. think in there that I was like, wow, okay, that's cool. Um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend, uh, in, in search of darkness part two, again, if you like the first one, it's more of the same. And I mean that in the most complimentary uh, way possible. It's really well produced. Uh, I like documentaries like this. I mean, I know, you know, you have the different types, you have the Sasquatch and the sons of Sam, where they really get these like strong narratives and they, they do yeah. these cool recreations, everything. This is more of your talking heads, you know, with clips from the movies. Right. I've always been a fan of that though. I like that. One of my favorite documentaries growing up as a horror fan was, um, fear in the dark from the the bbc i believe put it out in the early 90s christopher lee narrated it i it's a very it's like that but this of course is way more in depth so uh search of darkness part two definite recommend check it out on shutter i'd give it a solid 8.5 awesome yeah you can stream in search of darkness too on shutter i'm going to be doing that uh, so we get started streaming the best horror thriller supernatural content shutter's expertly curated collection includes musty titles like color out of space Host, The Mortuary Collection, plus all the best horror documentaries, including In Search of Darkness 2, and the hit creep show TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use promo code HMP, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and the promo code HMP. All right, that was our Shutter-sponsored Screaming Online segment. Joel, thank you for that review. Yes. And now we will move into Dave's review of a film from all the way back in 1958, The Day the Sky Exploded. All right, The Day the Sky Exploded. Now, this is regarded as the first Italian science fiction film. Now, it does have some horror elements to it. I'll get into them in a little bit. Um, it's the day the sky exploded. It's, it was released in Italy as death comes from space. But what's interesting is it was co-directed by Mario Bava. And there are some people, including one cast member who absolutely insists that Bava was the primary director of this film. It's in black and, and white and they set up the story an atomic rocket piloted by American John McLaren, played by Paul Hubschmid. Uh, takes off from Cape Shark, Australia, bound for the moon. Unfortunately, McLaren and his ship run into some problems while uh, orbiting the Earth, and McLaren has to eject the capsule, which falls uh, 
safely on the coast. You know, he, he has to, he, he injects the castle. He eventually comes back down to earth. Now, what happens is that McLaren and a group of international scientists and engineers have to work quickly to determine if the earth can be saved because, you know, he's come down in the shuttle and the rocket explodes in the asteroid cluster and it fuses these hundreds of large rocks together and sends them spiraling towards the earth. It's a collision course for the earth. So they've got to decide, okay, what can we do to save humanity? Now, it's black and white. This movie has its moments. Um, the early scenes when the rocket first takes off, they're kind of exciting, as is a sequence when the ship malfunctions. I like that. This, the beginning of this movie is really strong, uh, but it relies a little too heavily on stock footage. Now, this movie is 78 minutes, and I'm guessing that at least 20 minutes of this Maybe as much as a half hour is stock footage of one kind or another of the the armies firing off rockets, of people running through the streets in a panic, just everything. There's a lot of stock footage in this movie. And there are romantic entanglements, people who work at, um, uh, I guess, uh, what would be like NASA in, in this in this world, you know, like uh, the, the the sort of central command center. There are romantic entanglements there. There's the romantic entanglements um, with McLaren's wife, who's in this one is played by uh, Fiorella Mary. Uh, it kind of bogs the film down when you get into those areas. Worst of all is the final 10 minutes when the powers that be are kind of scrambling to save the world. From a scientific standpoint, these scenes are borderline laughable with the decisions they're coming up with of how we can destroy this asteroid. However, it's not a total disaster. It, it, it isn't. I, and I think to see a movie early on directed by Mario Bava, it does have some visually interesting moments in it. I mean, even the scenes that are set at this command center are, you know, interesting. They, they, you know, the, it, it's appealing. Um, I think Antonio Margheriti had put out some better sort of sci-fi films. But... Um, this one's worth seeing. I'd probably give it a, a, a six out of 10 and say it's worth watching. This was on one of the Mill Creek 50 movie collections. I just decided uh, to break this out one day and pop this in and watch a bunch of movies on it. This was one of them. And um, again, it just sort of caught my eye because it had Mario Bava in the credits. I'm like, whoa, 1958 Mario Bava. That's a, that's a couple years before, you know, Black Sunday which is the one that sort of uh, put him, uh, I guess the one that put him on the, on the, uh, on the quote unquote map for uh, horror fans. So to see an early film by Mario Bava was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I'd say six out of 10. And if I had it on one of the mill creeks, I'm sure you can find this probably, probably playing on YouTube or anywhere, probably maybe even archive.org uh, for free. And it's, it's worth seeing. It's not a big investment in time. Um, it's not a, it wouldn't, it's not a great movie, but it is an interesting one. Awesome, Dave. Thanks for reviewing that. The next two films that you saw, I'm fascinated with because, um, well, they're both from the seventies, one's from 72, one's from 73. They're both made for TV movies, so they could be terror on the tube appropriate. Yes, I'm absolutely. About that. Um, and one of them I'm fascinated. I love the night stalker series and I actually re re received the night stalker 
and the Night Strangler movie Blu-rays oh, nice. for Christmas this year. Nice. Oh, nice. I haven't, haven't had a chance to watch those yet, but I'm excited to. Um, and then, but I've never heard of the 1972 film Moon of the Wolf. What is that one about? All right, Moon of the Wolf. It's uh, As you said, it's a 1972 made-for-TV horror mystery. And I will say it's better than its crappy title would lead you to believe. I don't know what the hell they came up with, Moon of the Wolf. I don't even poster know isn't even... great either, I'll say that. No, the poster isn't any good, and the title isn't any good. But from the director of A Raisin in the Sun, which is a cinematic classic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, it stars and it has it stars David Jansen. He plays the sheriff of this small Louisiana bayou community where there's been a string of these recent sort of grisly murders. Um, and it has some people believing that a werewolf is on the loose. It also has Bradford Dillman. Now, I want to say, was Bradford Dillman, I want to think, I think he was in Piranha. Is he the guy from Piranha? No, Bradford Dillman might be from Humanoids from the Deep. I think think it might be Piranha. I'm night. Is it Piranha? I I can't remember if it was Piranha or Humanoids from the Deep that had Bradford Dillman in it. Um, He has the supporting role. He's the town's most prestigious resident. Um, Barbara Rush plays his sister, who recently returned home after spending a few years in New York. Um, Also joining in is Jeffrey Lewis. He plays the brother of the first victim. What happens is this woman is found dead um, laying by this uh, swamp. And the sheriff is called in and um, she's actually he's actually she's actually found by Royal Dano. He plays this sort of backwoods yokel in this um, in this uh, Louisiana Bayou community. Um, And Jeffrey Lewis is the brother of the first victim. I can't see Jeffrey Lewis without thinking, well, obviously he was in those. uh, movies with Clyde the orangutan, the, the <laughs> yeah. Clint Eastwood films, but it's Salem's uh, Lot. When I and see night, Jeffrey don't forget, Lewis, don't forget, I got to interject it. Night of the Comet. Oh yeah, Night of the Comet. He was uh, in Night of the Comet too. I, you know the one that I think of, which is maybe Walter Walsh is definitely not as well known as the ones you talk about. Is do you remember uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? Yeah. No, he was in that one. But I yeah. think that's the movie. He has flies tied to him. So in that movie, his character, I believe that's the movie. He's got like 20 flies that are tied with strings. He's tied the, the, the flies to a string and then tied the string to himself. Wow. So he like walk into a restaurant. He's just got flies buzzing around him, but he's tied them. to <laughs> himself. <laughs> so, I, was, I, mean, uh, I was his driver for a movie that I, one of the mo- early movies I worked on and really, he was such a joy to be around. Yeah. I, oh, that's he was, awesome. He's Juliet Lewis father. Yeah. Yep. yeah I, we talked yeah. about her band. I, I had, I was a fan of her band. So I played it in the car. We talked about it. Um, nice. He's, he's really good friends with uh, Robert Redford. And so I took him up to, he met Redford at the Al bar up at Sundance and they hung out and had lunch. And, uh, and it was, you know, I had to wait in the car for that, but we, we went out to sushi and like, it was a blast being around him. Oh, that's all. Awesome. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys. And then, but for me, it's always Salem's lot. I think of yeah. him as that. I just think of him in that rocking chair with teacher. Oh my yeah. God. It's, <laughs> it scared the hell out of me when I was a kid. Um, and he is, he's a fun actor. And I think he's good in this also. He's good. I like the cast in this film. They do a decent job. And David Jansen is, gives his understated performance as this sheriff. He's the hero and he's trying to put together what's going on. Um, and the mystery surrounding these homicides is, is what carries pretty much the f- first 50 minutes or so of a 74 minute movie. Again, it's made for TV. So you had to allow for commercials and, and with a two hour film. Um, the final scenes when the werewolf and it is a werewolf is front and center are effectively tense. There's especially yes. a, a, a sequence set 
in a jailhouse that I thought was really well done in this film. And while the ending is a bit of a groaner, it doesn't spoil what came before it. This is a seven out of 10 for me. I really enjoyed moon of the wolf. Um, Again, this is another one that's on a mill Creek 50 film collection. Nice. Can I, can I interject something real quick about that one? Yeah. So the only reason I've heard of this movie and it's not because of terror on the tube, though it'd be cool if we uh, do cover it at some point. It's, the fact that my friend Tyson Hanks, I mentioned him uh, on this show on a Retro Movie Geek. He actually has been on Retro Geek yeah. a couple times. And uh, he's a horror author. And he and I went down uh, to the Tampa area. There's a store there called Grindhouse, Grindhouse Video. And they sell DVD, Blu-rays, but they sell VHS, Laserdiscs, everything. I was in heaven. It was ridiculous. They have literally a whole room that's nothing but VHS. And he found moon of the wolf and if you go look at the vhs copy by the way i think it's a much improvement over the poster just so we're clear the, the box nice. That's yeah, awesome. yeah so he found a copy of it got it because it turns out it's a major like childhood like it was like an entry level like horror movie i think for him as a kid like he loved it uh, as a kid wow. i never even heard of it so he pulled it out i was like wow that's okay cool man <laughs> so that's that, cool. and then the fact that dave's uh, covering this uh, that's that's very cool cool that's awesome that's that's great I will say Bradford Dillman was in Piranha. I looked it up. Okay. It was Piranha. I couldn't remember if it was Piranha or Humanoids from the Deep. But none of that matters because he was in eight episodes of the greatest show ever made, Murder (laughs) (laughs) Shrew. That's funny. Awesome. Well, then, so Dave, I I would love to do like a themed episode on the Night Stalker films and series at some point. Tell us about the Night Strangler, which I have not seen yet, so don't spoil it for me. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll give a synopsis real quick on this. Again, this is a 72 made for TV film. Um, and it's Dan Curtis, man behind this. It's a sequel to the night stalker, the original film. And it once again, features the exploits of Carl Kolchak played by Darren McGavin. And for anybody out there who's not quite sure who Darren McGavin is, he played the father in a Christmas story. <laughs> yes. Um, and he's a newspaper reporter. And in this one, he's moved from Las Vegas to Seattle, where he's once again hired by his former editor, Vincenzo, played by Simon Oakland, who is not too happy to see Kolchak come walking into his office looking for a job because he remembers what happened during the events of the Night Stalker. Uh, anyway, his first assignment um, while uh, you know working for this new paper in Seattle is uh, to cover these recent killings in which the uh, the a recent killing, I'm sorry, in which a victim, an exotic dancer, was strangled and drained of a small amount of blood. Now, as Kolchak digs deeper into this story, he discovers that similar murders have been occurring in that section of the city from as far back as 1889 and repeating every 21 years, which puts it right around the time this film came out mm. now much to the dismay of vincenzo and captain schubert played by scott brady who was of the seattle the police department coach Jack continues to dig into this story teaming up with a researcher named titus berry played by wally cox and a belly dancer played by joanne flug he wants to get to the bottom of what is a very baffling mystery now this was again again as i said it was directed by dan curtis who was also behind the dark shadow series as well as one of my favorite anthology films, Trilogy of Terror, which I'm pretty sure was another made-for-TV film, but who can forget that last sequence? Uh, Karen Black starts throughout so the whole thing. Much. Who can forget Absolutely. that last the sequence best. in that film? 
And he did a slew of other genre and TV episodes. In addition, this movie features John Carradine playing the editor of Kolchak's paper. Al Lewis, Grandpa Al Lewis from the Monsters, plays a homeless man who Kolchak runs into when he goes down into this buried section of the city. You go, he goes down underground, and there's a section of the city that exists underground in this. I don't know how it got there. Uh, and The Wizard of Oz is Margaret Hamilton, plays a university professor in this. Yet as impressive as all that is, The Night Strangler would be nothing without Darren McGavin's portrayal of Carl Kolchak. He's this pushy-as-hell newspaperman who refuses to quit until he has the whole story. He also is the movie's narrator, as he was in The Night Stalker, in the original Night Stalker. And he shines in every single scene. He breathes life into this character that you can't help but love. He's pissing everybody off. But you can't help but love Kolchak. In fact, he was so popular that after these two movies, The Night Stalker and The Night Strangler, he was given his own TV series, which ran on ABC in the United States from 1974 to 1975. And I have all of this on DVD. Awesome. And I own that Blu-ray also for The Night Strangler, um, uh, Josh. But I watched the Night, the Night Stalker TV series, the Kolchak TV series. I love that series. It's one of my favorite of the old time sort of horror series. I absolutely love it. In every episode, he's taking on something new. He takes on a doppelganger in one. He takes on, uh, um, you know, this one's a, th this one is, is, is sort of, um, this, uh, this, immortal killer who emerges every 21 years you have vampires you have all of these great things it's one of the the i would love to do a theme episode just on kolchak and the night stalker night strangler series i, I would, would love do, that. Be awesome. i would love, to I would love that, that too to be honest with you richard matheson yeah. of course wrote the movies right and and yeah yes and he wrote yeah. this he wrote this yeah. one as well and, and he's my favorite horror author so that would be incredible that'd be awesome I didn't know about the plot to this one. I love this idea of something that happens every 21 years. Obviously, it calls to mind yeah. it with the, the 17 yes. years. And, and, and mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, having only been in <clears throat> the west side of the United States for much of my life and now going out to Virginia, I'm experiencing something that you guys are probably more familiar with. The, the cicadas oh, are returning. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, it's been seven. It's been exactly 17 years since the cicadas i'm telling you when we first moved into this the house where i am now it was within one year after we moved here that the cicadas you could hear them you think there's something wrong with your car i remember inviting a family member up here for a party and he pulled over his car because he thought they was hearing these sounds he gets out of the car with the car off he's like jesus it's louder now because it was the cicadas uh, i would find to me I, I walk from my car to the front door and it's about a 20 step walk from my car to the front door. During that summer, I would walk in, I would have three cicadas sitting on me every day, day that I would walk from my car into my, I remember walking into the kitchen one time. I feel like crawling on my neck. I threw it across the floor. I didn't know what the hell it was. <laughs> These things are so, it, it's like, it's like that scene. And was it days of heaven where they were descending on this, on this field. They were all over the place. You couldn't walk into your house without getting oh, them all over. Right. Your I'm so scared of this. How has that never been made into a horror movie? Like there's just, there's gotta be some, well, how's it's it. Oh, I, I, Okay, to be fair, I guess it is it. But but you know what I mean? Like, like a, a horror film called Cicadas. 
Um, it would it would be because these things are huge these are like locusts yeah. they're like locusts yeah. that they're, that are sitting i felt it crawling up my neck and i grabbed it and threw it and this thing just slid across my kitchen floor and i, I found out i had a couple more every single time <sighs> i'd walk in 20 feet i get these things on me so you've experienced only once in life dave this will be your second time this will be my second time yeah it's been 17 years and from what i heard it's like every 17 or yeah, years right. they come out that it was 17 it was 2004 it was 17 years ago that i experienced these and did joel have you did they go that far south yeah, we have them but you know what's really weird is i don't know that it's only every 17 years here like i i know we have them oh. Be- well that would make sense in florida that's because you have so many sinkholes opening yeah. up <laughs> right they just, come, they just flying come flying out, out. yeah <laughs> because i know i've seen them like i see them periodically now there is a spate of time that goes by but it's not a 17 year window i have to out the research that because i know i've heard them I, I know that's been a thing but i am i the only one who finds this creepy so when you google cicada the when the about thing comes up you know i presumably from mm-hmm. wikipedia or whatever the first like not even the first sentence just the first part says the cicadas are a super family <laughs> that is so creepy. That is so creepy. My my uh my uh app store is linked with Rachel's app store on our phones. So when anytime either of us downloads an app, it shows up on the other person's phone, you know? Yeah. And I'm like just sitting here minding my own business, having a nice day in Utah. And she's in Virginia. And then all of a sudden, this app shows up on my phone that says Cicada Safari. I'm like, why? <laughs> wow. <laughs> why is that a thing? <laughs> I, I, it's funny because we've had that. I, growing up, we also got a lot of the Jap- – for years, and I haven't seen them too much recently, but Japanese beetles when I was a kid. Um, my parents would put out in the in – the, um, yard and they'd have about seven of them out in our backyard we had about a quarter acre it was something called bag a bug where these japanese beetles would fly they would be drawn to this thing that's just sitting in the bag uh, on on top of the bag it's like a scent that draws them in and then they fall into the bag these bags we had to change them sometimes twice a day because all seven of them were filled with these Japanese beetles to the point that the ones at the bottom, it was oozing out of the bag because they were crushed by the ones on top. (laughs) Seven bags twice a day. I've never heard in my entire life. That's another thing. When I was a kid, you'd go out, you'd go out to play baseball and you'd be running, swatting these things away from you all the time. These Japanese beetles, we just had an infestation of them at one point. I do want to tell you, so I looked this up and and then we can can move on, but I have to tell you guys. So I just looked it up wondering, I feel like I've seen them more often. So only Florida, ready? Unlike, (laughs) unlike the broods of periodical cicadas, populations of Florida cicadas produce adults every year. Oh, man. (laughs) It says, even though Florida species emerge as adults annually, their life cycles surely require more than one year. (laughs) I hate that kind of stuff, man. Oh, man. Uh, We need to get John on here. That's another show that we've got coming up. We had touched base with him. Um, He's an entomologist that you, John, that you went to. Oh, yeah. Spooky Empire. Oh, yeah. Spooky Empire with from John's Horror Corner. Great guy. Awesome. Yes. 
Yeah, um, he's he's an entomologist, so he's going to come oh. and talk about bugs with us. Something. So we're going to cover cool. we're going to cover the mimic series because I I do like all of them actually. Whatever you want to bring to the table, he'll he'll, he'll tell mimic, us about. How about how about the nineteen seventy five bug? Oh yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> so I, they, I'm they, sorry for they... the cicada sidetrack, but I do feel like it's scarier than anything else we're going to talk about on this. <laughs> it is very they they are they are scary looking things because then on the tree out in front of my house you'd see the shells. Yeah, they that, yeah, when they would get drop those. out of the That's shells. What I you see find these is the shells we'll find them in like our backyard on a stuck to a tree the kids yeah, like them. Oh, uh, there were there were dozens yeah. on the tree like every day yeah, of these yeah, things yeah. <laughs> 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 all right now, next we've got two films from the gilman joel robertson uh we've got lisa from 1989 and in the deep woods from 1992 and uh, funnily enough we did not orchestrate this they are both tv movies Oh, that's so fascinating. So well, you guys are doing a lot of legwork for Terror on the Tube this hey, well, week. Well, here, no, yeah, okay, full, holy cow. Full disclosure, Lisa actually I think technically was considered theatrical, maybe had a very brief theatrical straight to video, but where I know where I initially saw it and I always thought it was a TV movie was Lifetime because it definitely has that Lifetime vibe to it. Mm. Uh, In the Deep Woods was definitely a TV movie, but I'm going to do them out of order from when I watch them. I've made no secret about the fact that my wife and I enjoy watching the occasional Lifetime movie. Uh, I believe in our, our uh, last, where I covered the Unborn. I made the uh, the point that the Unborn felt like a lifetime movie that just went horribly, horribly wrong by the right. by the end wow. of it. Yeah. Um, and so, but I've determined something. This is very important. We don't just like any old Lifetime movie because I've tried to watch some from the more modern era and they are almost unwatchable to me. Like they're trying to be thrillers, but they're so just it's something about the way they're shot, the way they're it just doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm just a fuddy duddy. All right. But these Lisa, again, technically, I think was theatrical, but it, it very much feels a, a, a part of this era. It's got to be from like the late 80s, like maybe mid 85, 86 through to about 93, 94, maybe. 95 i'll give you 95 but like that 10-year window and specifically late 80s very early 90s that window i don't know what it is it is like chicken soup to me (laughs) i I just like those like there's something so just sensationalized and basic about them that and only the thrillers like i don't want to watch like oh the romantic no 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 no. only the ones that are thrillers with like some decent horror elements to them those are the ones i gravitate toward and my wife does too oddly enough so i'll i'll do them out of order from which i watch them uh, for a reason because i think on a uh trivia level you guys will like in the deep woods more so lisa in 1989, uh, the IMDb description is a flirtatious teenager with an eye for older men gets more than she bargained for when, when the handsome stranger she's pursuing turns out to be a serial killer. And it was stars Stacy Keenan. Uh, hello, my two dads fans. Where are you? Let, raise your hands <laughs> right, right here. here. Thank, Front row. thank you. <laughs> Love that show. I was I I was a fan of my two dads also. I like that I, show see, too. Great stuff. Now other people yeah. will know her for was a step by step. I think it was the other big show she was involved with. I didn't really watch that one as much. I was no. It was definitely yeah, my, two my two dads. dads. Well, Paul Reiser wasn't yes. Paul Reiser one of yes. the two dads? He was yeah. one of the two dads. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I loved that show, and I always liked her. And uh, and so she was in this, and I saw this. I was trying to remember as so I was watching with my wife. She, I swore to her, I was like, oh, we've seen this. Before. Before. She's like, we're watching because I've never seen this movie. So only I can determine is apparently it was also on HBO in this in that time period, like very early 90s. So maybe when I was in high school, I might have seen it. I just it's so weird how you know, your memories all swirl together. But it also starred Cheryl Ladd. She plays the mom. 
and D.W. Moffat, who is one of those Ooh. actors who's very recognizable and it is a total quinky dink, is also in the other movie I'm covering. Like that just <laughs> was not on purpose. It just wow. happened that he was. <laughs> um, it was written and directed by Gary Sherman. And Gary Sherman is known to horror audiences. Well, first, awesome. Yeah, but, yes. yes, he was he, now probably the ones he's done that people really appreciate are uh, was it um, Raw Meat? Isn't that the the one about Raw Meat? Yeah. Yep. De- Dead and Buried. Yeah, if and I'm Dead and mistaken. Buried is the other yep. other big one. And then, of course, the infamous, which I do not blame him for, is Poltergeist 3. <laughs> Poltergeist 3, yes. yes. But he also did two also gr- uh, other great genre films. He did Vice Squad, yes. and he did, um, oh God, what was it? One Dead, Dead or Alive with, with yes. Rutger yeah, yeah, I actually, we covered that on Right Richard Movie Geek a couple years ago with with Tyson. Awesome. And that's, that's he plays a descendant of the guy that um, Steve McQueen played in the Western series, oh, yeah. which I thought was yes. really cool. They don't necessarily draw a co- correlation yeah. to that, but that's what it's set up. And Gene Simmons is the bad guy from Kiss. Gene Simmons plays the plays the uh, the uh, the evil character in that film. Yeah, although now that I said that out loud, I can't remember if Tyson, I know he did Split Second and that was also with Rucker Howard, so maybe I'm cross. This is where I need Peter uh, to step in and go, no, Joel, it was not. <laughs> it was not Wanted Dead or Alive. It was, okay. So it was either split second or that one. But we I know we did cover it. I remember talking about it. So, yeah, I, I like Gary Sherman's work. Um, and I so Lisa is very it's very much feels like a movie of this time period of this year. If you're familiar with another one that came out, it was made for TV. And I think it was actually based on a William Castle movie called I uh, Saw What You Did. I Know Who You Are, which what uses that same sort of conceit of girls prank calling people back in the day with landlines where you could do that come on who did that i did oh, that man. i did that all the time i was obnoxious i remember i you know, i i you know i would do it but i gotta tell you i have a i have something and i feel a little bad about it i, I when i was when we first got star 69 remember yep, star 69 yep, you yep, do that yep. and it would call yes. the number that just called you this little kid caught up one time and i could tell you know he's obviously a little kid he's like is your refrigerator running? <laughs> well, you better catch it. Ha ha. And he hangs up. So I star 69. <laughs> I star 69. It rings three times. The kid hesitantly answered, goes, hello. I go, I know where you live and I'm coming there oh. now. And I hang up the phone. <laughs> wow. And I wow. remember feeling a little bad about it. Cause I'm thinking, oh man, I just scared the hell out of this poor kid. Oh, it wasn't even that, wasn't even that bad of a, prank call oh, wow. really you yeah, know you know what he deserved that for how unbelievably cliche that prank call was and i bet you anything it was the last prank call I he bet ever it made. was too that kid <laughs> <laughs> poor kid but yeah I, I remember doing that but i remember there that time period that's what's so interesting about this movie is it's such a product of its time like you just pretty much couldn't make this movie now for a myriad of reasons not the least of which there is this really creepy element where she's supposed to be i think like 14 and she's straight up like she and her best friend like to pretend that there's these older men and what they'll do is they literally will find a guy they find handsome they will get his license plate number and because lisa can i guess kind of make her voice sound adult though to me she still sounds like a kid uh she will call the dmv and be do the whole like oh they hit my car and I just, you know, try to try to be very sultry with the the usually a guy on the other line, you know, trying to do that whole thing and gets the information about the person. And then they'll find out what the person's name is. And they create like these almost like you remember slam books or something like where, where it was like or maybe it's maybe more like a scrapbook, like where they they'll put pictures of the guy. They'll get like a Polaroid. It's very creepy. Actually, they're as creepy as, as the serial killer on some level because they're like straight up stalking <laughs> these dudes. But it, it's like that whole it's like the morality tale of, you know, you know, be careful. <laughs> 
you know, you're playing this game and eventually you're going to pick the wrong one. And she does. Right. Yeah. So uh, Lisa, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Like I said, 1989, I would give it a solid 6.5. I mean, it's a little slow going at times. You could tell. I think Gary Sherman has even said he wrote it with the intention of it being for like a younger audience. Like it feels more like it was probably made for maybe younger teens. Um, But it's I don't know. There's something I find very endearing about these movies. So if you're a weirdo like me, (laughs) you'll probably you'll probably enjoy it. Um, The other one is in the deep woods. Now, this is from 1992. I've wanted to watch this for a while now. Uh, Love that title. Yeah, it's a good title. It's a good title. That is a good title. It's also the final appearance by one of the greatest legends of the genre, Mr. Anthony Perkins. It came out the month after he passed away. Wow. Yeah. And so, you know, it stars Rosanna Arquette as well and Will Patton playing a police detective which is kind mm. of a cool fun little connection you know piece yeah uh, and so it it's oh and also dw moffat he's in this and oh and amy ryan for you office fans out there she's been in a lot of their stuff as a great actress but uh remember she was uh michael scott's girlfriend holly uh for quite a few episodes oh yeah yeah, I love yeah her, she's yeah. great she's yeah in this she she's actually good in this she's kind of like a thankless kind of role uh you could tell it's pretty probably pretty early in her career i'm assuming so anyway it's uh basically tells the tale of a woman fears that the private detective she's been conversing with may be the killer who murdered her beloved friend and dumped her corpse in the forest so it's pretty much just like you'd think it's got a very procedural kind of vibe to it uh rosette arquette thinks that you know she might may or may not know who the serial killer killer is the killer is primarily targeting successful women and in 1982 that basically meant you had to have aquanet hair and really big shoulder pads so as as you see throughout the film and it was it's just it's actually surprisingly um I don't know. I wouldn't say it's it's not it's horror. I, I feel like I mean you're dealing with serial killer. You know he's definitely and they definitely do a lot of like cutaway. But there is this I don't know. There's a decent tension to it. It's not a great movie, but I will say that getting to see Anthony Perkins, you know, in this kind of final role that it's a thriller. Uh, my my good buddy Gamma, who's been on Retro Movie Geek many a time, is also a huge Perkins fan uh, as well. And I actually recommended it to him, and he actually said he enjoyed it quite a bit. So I think if you're a fan of Perkins, um, if you want to see you. You know, Rosanna Arquette just a few years uh, before she'd be in Pulp Fiction, but about six years after Desperately Seeking Susan, uh, that, that's uh. where she's at in her career. And uh, and mm-hmm. Will Patton, seeing a, a, a Will Patton with maybe a little bit more hair. Not a, not a lot. And I know I'm not one to talk. I'm just saying a little bit more hair. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a lot of fun. I'd give this one probably about a 6.5 as well. I'd say In the Deep Woods is a fun uh, little watch. I believe this one for sure is on Prime right now so you can watch it for free if you've got prime uh lisa may be prime but if it's not it is available to stream so you can uh, actually it says it says included with prime so both of them are free if you have prime cool that's awesome that's great all right well uh that's basically all we have except for dave is going to give us his post-mortem on a film that joel championed last year unhinged from 2020 all right, Unhinged from 2020. Now, I got to tell you, this this is a movie um, I, I heard Joel Champion. Other people had told me back in 2020, definitely want to see this film. It's a strong movie. Yeah. But I got to tell you, I was a little hesitant to watch it because of the subject of road rage. Oh. And this is something going back. Um, it took a while for me to work up sort of the... <laughs> 
the courage to watch this movie. And it goes back to when I was um, first learned, I just started to drive and it was back, uh, maybe I was driving for a couple months and I would go to work. I worked in, in um, a fast food place in Norristown when I was in high school. And I remember driving home one day and I'm in a left lane and I saw one car cut off another car to get into this left lane. And it was a, one of those left turn only, you know, left arrow. And the one guy who got cut off gets out of his car, walks over and starts banging on the roof of the other car and starts screaming at the guy in the car. Now, the other guy in the other car is ignoring him. He's just looking straight ahead. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy doesn't want any part of it. But this guy was really angry. The light changes. He gets back in his car. I didn't make that light. I ended up being the, like the last one. I was sitting at the next light waiting for it. But I watched those cars going up the hill, cutting each other off like with within a hair of each other wow just cutting each other off even the guy who was looking straight ahead is cutting the other guy off they're going back and forth and i'm thinking my god when they get to that next light what's going to happen i had been only driving for a couple months and it was just it's still with me to this day i still think of that incident it's like really with me and it's just wow. like wow how angry people can get behind the wheel and that's what i thought this movie is about it is but it's not only about that. There's more to this. Um, uh, just to, to sort of, I guess, uh, set it up. Um, uh, this is directed by Derek Borte, and it's uh, Rachel is the main character, played by Karen Pistorius. She's not having a good day. Um, for starters, her lawyer and best friend, Andy, played by Jimmy Simpson, has informed her that her ex-husband, Richard, you only hear his voice, the voice by uh, Andrew, Andrew Morgado, uh, wants sole ownership of the house they once shared. Um, so he's issued, you know, he's, he's sort of put forth this uh, this court, um, I guess he's petitioning the court to get sole ownership of that house. Um, and if that isn't bad enough, she's late getting out the door. It makes her son, Kyle, played by Gabriel Bateman, he's going to be late for school a third time, which means he's immediately going to get detention. She's going to have to pick him up later on because he's going to get detention for a, bit, for a third tardy. And she's fired by her most important client. She's a hairdresser and she's fired by her most important client um, because she's not going to get there in time. Then to top it off, she has an altercation with another driver played by Russell Crowe uh, at a red light. Um, he, they, she ends up passing him at the red light. He pulls up next to her. They have a little conversation. He apologizes to her. He asks for her to apologize. She refuses. And from that point on, Rachel's day gets a lot worse. Now, one thing Rachel doesn't know that we know is that this character played by Russell Crowe in the opening scene of the movie, he's recently divorced, as is Rachel, but he's also recently divorced. He breaks into what would have been his former house, murders his ex-wife and her lover with a hammer, and burns it to the ground. So we know what she doesn't know that this guy is out of control and that's what it is when you get into these situations with other drivers you don't know what they're capable of you don't know what anything about them rachel by not apologizing to this guy has set him off and he is now going to make her life a living hell and this movie goes from one wtf moment to another um, there's a scene involving Andy in a restaurant that you think, wow, that was intense. But then it gets even worse when this guy gets Rachel's phone and he's tracking her contacts and 
getting in touch with them. And now he knows where her son goes to school. He knows where she lives. Hmm. He knows where her mother lives. He knows everything about her. He has already killed. He's not above killing again. And hmm. that's where you get in this movie and why it just escalates. And you are on the edge of your seat from, from the beginning of this film right up to the end. Um, for me, I mean, I think Pistorius uh, gives a great performance as Rachel, who's sort of frenzied throughout this movie and trying to deal with this situation that's been thrown at her. But it's Russell Crowe who delivers the most intense performance of the movie, playing what is the darkest character he's played since 1992's Romper Stomper, where he was a skinhead. Wow, wow. This was this is his darkest character he's portrayed since that time. And it's because of him that unhinged is a movie that is going to shake you and is going to stay with you. I'm with Joel. I give it a nine out of ten, and I think you definitely have to see this movie. Dang right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Dave, I'm so happy you liked it, man. That's great. Yes, it, but it, it liked it to the point that it really did shake me. Yeah, it's it's, you know, a real, it's really effective. And you're right, it's, it's Russell Crowe. I mean, his performance yes. is really top-notch. And it's funny, as soon as you said his darkest performance, and it, like the first thing I popped in my head, is I, I said in my head, since Ropper Stomper. <laughs> oh, yes. wow. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What is your, this is a huge sidetrack, what is your favorite Russell Crowe performance? For me, it's LA Confidential. That was yeah. the movie where I was like, yeah. who is this guy? Yeah. This is amazing. That, that, like, was, I that movie is fantastic. I love that he movie. He was great in that. I liked him in The Insider. Yes. But I yeah. did, I really liked him in, um, there were two movies from 2000 to 2001. He was nominated both years, Gladiator in 2000, and then A Beautiful Mind, the yeah. Ron Howard film in 2001, where he plays two incredibly uh, like polar opposite characters and does both of them very well. Yeah. I'm I, I with Josh though. I think uh, LA confidential would be my, my oh, and he yeah, was awesome. Yeah, in that, LA that confidential. So Absolutely great. awesome yeah. in that movie as well. When Dave said, uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to watch this in my mind said, I said because of the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes. If you think of Russell Crowe and the mummy, you're not going to want to jump into no. this movie. Yeah, do not. This is not that. This is not that Russell Crowe. No, 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 no. No, and no, no, no. I'm paraphrasing, but the thing that stuck with me from Joel's original review was he said you said something to the effect of um, if you think you're having a bad day, there might be someone else out there who's having a much worse yes. day. <laughs> yes, like yes. That. I was like, that's a theme yeah. in this movie. Yeah, buddy. Absolutely yeah. a theme in this movie. And boy, is it and true. I'm not going to lie to you after I watched it. And I think it was around the time, probably right after we reviewed it. And I so it was still kind of fresh in my head. I remember I was driving around and I'm not like a hawker. I'm not the kind of person like, get up. I'm not that kind of, I'll, I'll do a jitter like beep, beep, you know, like, please move, please, you know, right. but like there was somebody in front of me at a stoplight and they were obviously on their phone and they were just looking down. You could tell. And then the light trigger and I'm sitting there. And honestly, I like that movie was in my head. I'm like, nope. Mm -mm. <laughs> and they were like in like a little, I mean, not, not to knock people who drive Priuses and stuff, but I mean, I'm just saying it wasn't like the, the big scary truck, you know, kind of, you know, it was just this, this, this somebody in just this little car. And I was like, nope, not chancing it, not happening. <laughs> and, and they, they finally went, I made it through the lights. I was like, okay, good. Because that, that's the, that's what this movie does to you. It makes you think, I don't know if I'm going to honk at people. <laughs> 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 right it, it may it makes you this movie makes you think twice it really does about uh because like i said you don't know who's in that other car exactly. you don't know anything about them 
I just miss the good old days when you could get in a little fist fight yeah. and it was, you know, gentlemanly. Oh, I, I remember, I remember a, a, a girl I worked with years ago telling me about her boyfriend, her boyfriend and this other guy got into this. Um, uh, there was some road rage in, in one of those on ramps, you know, one of those long round on ramps where you're going around where they both pulled off into the grass, got out of the car and started to beat the hell out of each other wow. right there on the side of the road with all the other traffic going past them. It's, it's, it's really sad. she's like screaming at her boyfriend saying, what are you doing? You know, it's the so, people get so angry when the, my well, these days had road rage. You just get shot. These yeah. days, like, no, yeah, no. oh, exactly. Stand your ground. My, my father thing. would have road yeah. rage. My father would get road weight rage watching someone cut someone else oh, off. Yeah, my dad would do that. Not my even dad him. Did that too. My dad Not did even that him. Too. And he would yeah. start like speeding up. I remember being in the car with my grandfather once and my grandfather's like, yeah, you go tell that guy, you go show that guy that he shouldn't cut that guy off. What are you crazy? <laughs> you know, he's like, why are you getting involved in someone else's? Yeah, no, that's ill-advised. <laughs> that's ill-advised. Yes. At this point in the show, I'm very excited. This is something Dave and I have been talking about for years, and we haven't really figured out how we wanted to do it. This was a idea that came to us. Was it through Rotten Rantings that were you first? Uh, yes, you yes. Know. I was on an episode. God, how many years ago was that? Now, where where we had sort of um, done something along these lines, but I think we have a, a, a great concept for this yeah. idea. I love it. Yeah, so the idea is Horror Olympics, and because Rotten Rantings had already done it, when Dave first brought up the idea, that kind of turned into our Horror Around the World series that we've only done one or two entries in so far. Right. I think we did Ireland <laughs> and Australia so far. Well, I do intend to continue yeah. you know, doing international cinema like that, but... Um, Dave brought it up again this year, and it is the year of the Olympics. And so, you know, we thought, oh, this could be fun. Let's do kind of like a bracket thing. And maybe every episode leading up to the Olympics, we can pit these countries against each other and we can award some medals, uh, you know, come August or September, whenever the, the Olympic Games wrap up this year. So what we've done is we've created a bracket for each kind of continent or region. And um, we're going to go through those brackets, just pitting countries randomly against each other. I actually intended to do it a little more methodically so that we could like pick good team ups, but the app I was using to create the brackets just randomly selected who would go up against each other. So, oh well, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. Um, we're going to do four competitions this episode and the rules of the game are that we'll each have two minutes to talk about our country that we're representing. And then at the end, we'll kind of throw a champion into the ring. Um, and, you know, we're just making our case for why this country's horror is better, whether it's most significant historically or they're doing the best work now or there's maybe there's just one movie that's just such a huge film that you can't be ignored. Whatever the argument we want to make is, that's up to us. And then Joel will come in and be the arbiter of uh, who was the winner and who's going to be moving on to the next section. So we're doing two films uh, from the Oceania Asia region and we're doing two films from Europe. And so uh, where should we where should we begin, Dave? Um, why don't we start, um, why don't we start with one of the ones in Europe? Okay. All right. So the countries that we had here, um, 
in this first matchup then were Spain versus Russia. So that's kind of a fun matchup. Let's yeah. let's jump into those. Um, now I will say to the audience, I could tell just from the text Dave was sending me that he was doing a lot more preparation than I was. <laughs> <laughs> so even though I think these countries may have the stronger case, I do apologize to you if you're in one of the countries I'm representing and I just get completely floored by Dave, even though uh, your country may have, in fact, the better horror cinema. But right. um, I'll go ahead and start with Spain and sure. we'll put two minutes on the clock. Um, we're not actually keeping count. But no, thank God, because I know I'm going to need more than two minutes. <laughs> Well, we'll give it a shot. We're going to give it a shot. So here we go. Spain versus Russia. Okay. So my contention is that Spain, it doesn't classically have the strongest horror cinema. Like I think, you know, compared to other countries in its region, like Italy, where you could really say like, oh, okay. So Italian horror is really a very, very important part of our, you know, horror tradition. Spain doesn't have that necessarily. There are some older films that I think are significant. The awful Dr. Orloff from 1962 is a really important film. I think if people haven't seen that Mark of the werewolf from 1968, although it's set in Poland, I think it's a, or a Polish character. Character, I think it's an important Spanish contribution. Um, one that it's not necessarily a good film, but I think a lot of horror fans love is Tombs of the Blind Dead, mm-hmm. which I think we've talked about on the show before. Yep. Um, I think probably most significantly, people will look at the films that Spain produces as a nation more than that are specifically Spanish films and i think that comes up because you see them producing a lot of the films of say uh, guillermo del toro for instance you know so you'll have the devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth and these films but also the films he's kind of tangentially related to as a producer like the orphanage or mama like these are all films that spain has funded and produced and that i I feel like are some of the best horror around also i think Spain does really well with its auteurs. You know, we think of Almodovar, and I think even though he isn't specifically horror, I think the way he does the kind of unease of the uncanny is so strong. And I think like a film like The Skin I Live In, for instance, which is more straight ahead horror than some of his other stuff. But I even think of like Broken Embraces, I think is such an interesting film that I think is horror adjacent that I think is really worth looking at. Yeah. Um, also just in that group of films produced by Spain, Marrowbone, The Others, there are some big titles, but really I think, Oh, sorry. I also want to mention Open Your Eyes, um, Abre Los Ojos with Penelope Cruz that later turned into Vanilla Sky. These are really interesting movies, I think, that are uh, important to have in the conversation. But I think really Spain's hardest hitters are films that are true Spanish films. I mean, I guess you could say they're Catalonian films because they take place in Catalonia, but Wreck. You know, Rec 2, these are amazing Spanish language films that are yeah. shot in the in the country, in Catalonia region specifically. So there is some contention there in terms of is Barcelona, Spain or not. I'll leave that to the locals to decide. But it, for our purposes today, you know, I just think you're talking about just a great platform of films from these Del Toro movies to very recent stuff like The Platform, which we really enjoyed last year, or Veronica, but then these British films like 28 Days Later and uh, these Canadian films like Jennifer's Body and these American films like The Others, and then you've got uh, even you know these up-and-coming auteurs like Nacho Vigalondo, who are super interesting, who made Time Crimes and Colossal. Like I feel like Spain is on its way to greatness, even if maybe its roots aren't as deep as some other places in Europe. Well How done, sir. Well done. Excellent. <laughs> Very well done. 
Um, you made some great cases and uh, some good films in there. I'm, I'm interested to see what your what your champion is going to be. Yeah. Um, okay. So now I, I uh, have been tasked with uh, Russia, and I'm going to just go back a little bit to Russian literature. Uh, there's it has a rich history when it comes to horror. Now the first mention of the word vampire in a Slavic document was in a Russian one, the Book of Prophecy, written in 1047 A.D. Wow. Uh, at that point, vampire wasn't so much a bloodthirsty monster as it was a heretic, with legend suggesting that someone who lived an unclean or blasphemous life could become a vampire in death. Also, Vladimir Gogol wrote his classic vampire novella, The V, V-I-Y, uh, was released as part of his collection titled Mirgorod Mir in 1835, some 60 years before B Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, speaking of V, it's time to finally move into the cinema. Uh, it was originally adapted as a 1909 silent film, which has unfortunately been lost. And there have been other silent horror films released before the revolution in, in Russia, most notably Queen of Spades, uh, which is based on an 1835 story by Alexander Pushkin. Uh, but the most notable version of V was released in 1967 and was the first Soviet-era horror film to be officially released in the USSR. It's a very unique film, part comedic at times with an extraordinary production design. It's about a priest in training who, believing he's killed a witch, accidentally murders the daughter of a wealthy landowner who then contracts him to spend three nights alone with the corpse in this tomb to pray and help his daughter's soul pass into the next realm. Well, things go south when it turns out she was a witch after all. And I'll just leave that, that, that there. But V is a very good movie. Even Andrei Tarkovsky, that great Russian director, dabbled in the horrific. 1972 Solaris is primarily sci-fi, but it does feature some creepy scenes aboard the space station. Uh, the Soviet era was light on horror, though in 1987, uh, Stanislav uh, Gavorkin directed Ten Little Indians, which is a psychological mm. thriller based on the Agatha Christie story and is noted for being one of the most faithful adaptations of that story. We have The Vampire Family in 1990 and the supposedly very graphic 1991 movie Time of Darkness. I have not seen those, but I have seen Timur Bekmambetov's uh, 2004 fantasy horror Night Watch, which mm. is extraordinary about the yeah. eternal fight between good and evil. Uh, there was the 2007 slasher-inspired Trackman, which I found out just before we recorded I own on DVD, and I'm kicking myself for not watching it for this. Uh, and recently, Russia has been quite active in horror. In 2020, there was Baba Yaga, Terror of the Dark, as well as the Gilman Joel's number one movie of the year, Sputnik. Oh, yeah. Fair. Yep. All right. Well, is that, is that, is that your... Uh... Is that your stab at it? That's my stab at it. Okay. Yes. Well, as I predicted, you were much more prepared than me. But <laughs> in our final thoughts here, throwing our competitors into the ring, I, I just don't think there's any arguing the power of the Spanish cinema. There were so many interesting, unique films to choose from. Believe me, I considered films like The Untamed, Witching and Bitching, uh, The Orphanage, all just classic films. But I don't think you can go wrong. I'm putting in the ring Wreck 2. I think this is one of the best zombie movies of the zombie uh, renaissance that came out of that era. And I nice. think it can stand on some. Awesome. All right. Well, the movie I'm throwing in is actually Gilman Joel's number one movie of the year of last year, Sputnik. That's a low blow. <laughs> 
let me tell you something. I I, I was ready. I, I needed I needed something because I was going up against the big countries here. I knew you were going to pull out the big guns. I was going to start a media smear campaign if I had to. Um, yeah, so I'm going with with Sputnik. Great movie. If you want to know more about it, listen to HMP episode uh, 210, which was our top 10 of 2020. Um, listen that's to Joel's one fantastic from. review, right, Dave? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Joel's, Joel's incredible review. The best I've heard on Sputnik. <laughs> wow. Wow. So he's fighting dirty right from the start, folks. All right. What do you say, Joel? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that seems like it it yeah, I'm not going to say it's an unfair choice, but I am going to say that it might lead folks to think this could be uh I don't know, a little closer to the uh the Golden Globes. And we would don't we don't want that. We don't want that. So, I'm just going to put it out there that I'm actually going to go against what everyone would think that based on the arguments at hand in the movie that was thrown down in the gauntlet, if Wreck 2 had been up against Sputnik if that was if it was year to year comparison I'm going for Wreck 2 I give this one to Spain All right well let's move on to uh this is an interesting matchup the Philippines versus Japan and I will be representing the Philippines Dave why don't you go first though with Japan this time All right Japan uh, now I'm tempted to open up with the year 1950 when Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon was released it's not horror but there's a damn creepy scene in which a medium is possessed by the spirit of a murdered husband but instead let's start in 1954 with the release of a little movie called Gojira aka Godzilla <laughs> yeah arguably the most popular movie screen monster of them all uh with the release of godzilla versus kong this year the godzilla franchise in one form or another has been in existence for 65 years and 36 films overall and that's not counting the other kaiju films like mothra rodan atragon uh gamera uh prehistoric turtle uh that itself spawned a series of a dozen films and for the record, the term kaiju is a Japanese word dating back to the 19th century that originally referred to monsters and creatures from ancient Japanese legends. And it's obviously come to refer to these giant monsters. Uh, heading into the 60s, we have a couple of films inspired by Japanese legends. Onibaba from 1965, which is mm -hmm. really strong. Yeah. Kwaidan from 1966. Uh, Shachiku Studios turned out a few late 60s horror movies like Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell. And in the 70s, we got Haosu a.k.a. House. Oof, one of my a, favorites. Yes, it's a, it's a crazy film directed by uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi. Uh, let's leap forward in time to the late 90s and into the 2000s when the worldwide popularity of movies like Ringu, Zhuan, Dark Water, and the like helped usher in the phrase J-horror, or Japanese horror, movies in the yokai or ghost tradition. These movies were so popular that Hollywood remade a good many of them. And J-horror was even used to refer to movies from other Asian countries. The Eye has been classified as J-horror by some, even though it's a Hong Kong movie. Uh, Takashi Miike churned out genre films like Audition, Ichi the Killer, Goku, and One Missed Call. And in 2017, we saw the release of Wolfman Josh's number one movie from a few years ago, <laughs> One Cut of the Dead. Uh, with so many great movies to choose from. I'm, I'm, I'll just I'll hold off as to which one is going to represent Japan, and we'll turn this over to you, Josh. Wow, that was brutal. 
just brutal. Okay, look, the Philippines is a lovely country. Um, just a beautiful <laughs> collection of gorgeous islands. You can swim with whale sharks there. <laughs> it's great. And I will say for Oceania, it has one of the bigger film industries that you'll see. Um, there's some films worth checking out that are not necessarily horror, but I would recommend people check out if they're interested in Filipino cinema. Um, there's a film, let's see, in, in Tagalog, it's Mula Sakung Ano Eng Noon, which is from be, from what is before. That's a film that's uh, absolutely worth seeing. And one of the classics from the Philippines is Oro Plata Mata, which I highly recommend. And I love Metro Manila. I don't know if people have seen Metro Manila, but it's absolutely worth checking out. Whew. When it comes to horror... <laughs> On the other hand, <laughs> there isn't a great selection. I mean, there are several films that are definitely making as high as the four or five range on my on my rating okay. scale. Okay. <laughs> um, a couple that I could name to check out: Eerie is worth is worth seeing. Um, there's one called The Debutantes that's maybe worth checking out. Um, there is a classic vampire film from 1964, The Blood Drinkers, a.k.a. Vampire People. I would say people check that out. That is the first color film shot in uh, the Philippines and uh, kind of an interesting movie to check out. But by and large, um, the Philippines hasn't really brought it on the horror front. Um, so, uh, yeah. This is probably a wash for me, but <laughs> I will say this leaves the door open. So if we have any young Filipino Pinoy filmmakers out there, I'm talking to you, Mr. Watson. Let's get some great screenwriting done and let's see some great Filipino horror films. I, yes. I think the future is bright. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So the film I'm going to uh, use to, I guess, for my representative, my champion. Yes. Um, now, I was going to go with Juwan, which scared the living hell out of me. But let's go with 1954's Gajira, the first Godzilla <laughs> film, um, a dark reminder for the Japanese of their recent history. Let's go with uh, let's go with Gojira, the first appearance of Godzilla. And again, Gilman Joel's children's favorite movie. So, <laughs> yeah. yes, I did research, but I also did a little bit of research with for into Gilman Joel's preferences. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess the one that I'm going to go with, it's a dramatic thriller. Um, it's called Ducat, and it's an interesting film. Um, it's, uh, it's about a kidnapped uh, young man, um, and his kidnappers demand a large ransom in order for his parents to, um, you know, to rescue him. And during that time, it's this young man trying to figure out how to escape from the kidnappers. So <laughs> if you haven't seen Ducat... It's like a six out of ten, maybe. Okay. So give it a shot. <laughs> okay. Should, should, I, should I ask you to rate good, the original Kojira? No, thank you. <laughs> okay. So I feel like to pretend that there's any suspense in the results insults Everyone at the table, the audience, uh, just everyone. So I'm not even going to pretend. The winner is Japan, of course. However, however, it is not just because of my family's undying devotion and love to a certain giant green lizard. It's also because, let's face it, Wolfman didn't have a chance. Not on this one. So let's see how he does in round three. 
Okay, that was rough. That was rough, Dave. Uh, I, I, yeah, that was All tough. right, well, I think we're coming up to, to your wheelhouse in this okay. next one. Well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, okay, so originally, um, you know, we I had picked the matchups for Asia, and so I asked Dave to pick some matchups for Europe. Yes. And um, Dave sent me his text. He said, yeah, why don't you take uh, Germany – and I'll take Norway. Well, and, then yeah, and then I a, messed up. A couple days later, <laughs> he sent me a text and he said, um, I wanted to learn more about Russian and Finnish horror and, you know, dot, dot, dot. And I said, I thought you were doing Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> this will be interesting. This will be interesting. Are we getting Norway or are we getting uh, okay. Finland here? Okay. <laughs> we'll have to we're, find out. Yeah, we'll find out. Okay. Well, you want to go first again because I feel like I don't know. Yes, this I, I, I think I think this, this could be a bloodbath. Yeah, because <laughs> because I didn't go with Norway, I went with Finland. I okay. wish now I'd gone with Norway because I think I might have had a fighting chance, but I don't feel I do now. Anyway, um, Finland. Uh, on Land of the Creeps episode two seventeen, we were joined by retro movie geeks Peter Nielsen. Uh, who helped us delve into Nordic horror. And while Finland's output is more limited than that of other Nordic countries, uh, what they have produced has been quality. In 1945, the Green Chamber Chamber of Linnaeus was released, which was based on an 1853 horror romance novel. Uh, One very notable early Finnish offering was 1952's The White Reindeer. I know Peter had talked about that one, Mm -hmm. which actually was entered into the 1953 Cannes Film Festival and was awarded a special jury prize for Best Fairy Tale Film. Uh, Jean Cocteau was uh, on the jury that year. Also in 1952 is the intriguingly titled The Witch Returns to Life. And in the 80s, we get the horror comedy The Moonlight Sonata about a fashion model who takes a vacation and finds herself dealing with the maniacal locals who inhabit her vacation spot. Uh, the, the new millennium, though, is when Finnish horror really took off. We have 2008's Dark Floors, in which the members of Lord Eye, a heavy metal uh, band, uh, play the monsters in that movie. There was, of course, the excellent Rare Exports, a Christmas tale, a very unique take on the Santa mythos. Yeah, And there have even been some slasher films, like 2009's Skeleton Crew and 2016's Bodum. And, of course, there was a really strong film uh, from 2005 called Sauna. Finland, like I said, it's a little more limited when you're getting into the, uh, into the, into the Nordic area. But I think they do have some strong movies, and I'm, um, I have, I think, a strong one to put forward. But uh, let's turn it over to Josh to, um, to tell us about the country that uh, pretty much invented horror, Germany. <laughs> You beat me to the punch, Dave, because <laughs> as I was as going through those texts again, you know, about how yes. you wanted to learn more about Russian and, and Finnish horror, as, yes. as you put it, um, <laughs> I, I got this text from Dave. It said, I did see a few good Finnish films, but nothing that's going to beat Germany. <laughs> <laughs> the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, Nosferatu, the country that damn near invented horror. So, OK, well, <laughs> I'm going to take a slightly different tack here in this debate. Um Dave, when you think of like the proto slasher, what's like the, maybe the earliest film you can think of that would maybe be responsible for, uh, you know, the the slasher film as we know it? Proto slasher. Yeah, just thinking way back, like maybe that POV camera chasing down a victim. 
Um, She's funny. The one I always serial come to, killer. The one. Yeah. I, okay, now you mentioned serial killer. Yes, <laughs> let's go back to what is it? Fritz Lang's M. <laughs> Oh, great <laughs> choice. 1931. I wonder if there's anything before that that would be significant. Hey, Dave, what do you think is the first vampire film? Yes. What would that be? <laughs> um, it wasn't Dracula in 1931. I know that. No, it might be F.W. Yeah. Murnau's Nosferatu. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, sometimes even when I think of what are the great remakes, you would think a film like Nosferatu could never be due duplicated but you know there's these guys there's this guy Werner Herzog I don't know yes if you're there, familiar with his there, I've heard of Werner Herzog yes I've heard yeah, of him well, I've seen a few of his movies and I think he did a remake of that one if I'm apparently so you yes. know who's to say but <laughs> um and then okay and I also think okay who's doing some of the most disturbing horror cinema even in recent years what what could we point to you know I think uh, Michael Haneke possibly comes mm -hmm. to mind yes mm -hmm. there Germany's just really um, always done all along. It's from from the very very beginnings of horror. Dr. Caligari, as as Dave mentioned so kindly to me, to <laughs> to the modern day with Goodnight Mommy. I mean, I just feel yeah. like there is no stopping Germany in terms of uh, their horror output. Enzite that was a fun film mm -hmm. in recent. Oh years. yes, Enzite was very good. They're they're just really they have never slowed down. I mean, I th I think you look at someone like Herzog and Henneke, and you can't argue that these are some of the greatest auteurs of all time. Really, mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. Vampire is a, is a fantastic film. Now that's a drier film, so it's Danish in origin, but it is a German produced movie. So even just on the production front, you know, the House that Jack built. That's another example of it's not necessarily seen necessarily as a German film, but it's Lars von Trier, but it was funded by Germany. So they're they've really gone out of their way. Yes. <laughs> to support some of the best horror out there over the years. Dehola, Cold Hell, I think is another great, you know, kind of a crime thriller from recent years. Mm -hmm. The Tenderness of Wolves from 1973 is a classic. I just feel like um, there are a few countries who are as important to horror. Now you might say, well, okay, those are all interesting films, but do they really impact the cinema of today? Well, German expressionism uh, the impact of German Expressionism just on film in general, whether it be um, film noir or Tim Burton, cannot really be overstated. German Expressionism was extremely important on the development of cinema in general, but one of my favorite slashers of all time, uh, and I think one of the most important slashers undoubtedly in the development of that genre is Halloween, which was heavily influenced by German Expressionism. So, I, I just think when talking about German horror, uh, we can't forget the roots and how important those films were to what we have and enjoy today. I, what can I say? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> You've said it all. <laughs> I appreciate oh. it. I appreciate your help on that one, Dave. So yes, thank no you. problem. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So I guess now we're getting into our champions. The one I'm going to choose, and I am going to set it up just a little bit more than I have the other one so far, because it might not be as well known. It is the 2005 film I, I mentioned briefly, Sauna, 
Mm. Um, and uh, the IMDb synopsis says a 25-year war between Russia and Sweden concludes two brothers who are part of an effort to outline new border accords become undone by their actions and their mistreatment of a young woman during their journey. Now, this one takes place in 1595. And you feel every bit as if it's taken us back in time to that very period. Um, along with the finally realized setting, the movie is gorgeously shot by cinematographer Henri Bloomberg. And there's a dark, ominous tone that runs throughout the film, uh, offering viewers a glimpse at how war can change people and cause them to do some pretty awful things. Only in this movie, those actions come back to haunt the main characters, a pair of brothers played by uh, Viel Virtanen and Tommy Eronen. Uh, it's a slow brooding tale, and never once did I feel at ease while watching Sauna. Uh, the director, A.J. Ania, An well, Anila, I'm guessing, uh, does a fine job of keeping us on edge throughout, and the shots he takes of the sauna, which is this stone structure situated in the middle of a lake or a bog or whatever it is, adds to the overall tension. We know something bad happened there, and that an evil continues to dwell in this little village that the protagonists find themselves in. Uh, it's not fast-paced by any means, and the story is told in a non-linear fashion, but it was an experience I definitely recommend. So Sauna is my champion for Finland. You know what? You sold me on it. I want to see it. But listen, um, <laughs> there are many places I could have gone with this. I think yeah. even just recently, a lot of our listeners loved The Lodge. From the, you know, that's yeah. a, That was an extremely good film of recent mm -hmm. years. I was uh, introduced to or kind of reintroduced to Decoder this last year, mm -hmm. which is just a fantastic original German horror film. But I absolutely could not you know, have this discussion without talking about the film that is the number 10 film of my top 10 movies of all time that I could not have made that list and left off, which is Nosferatu from 1922. Oh, yes. Of course. Of course. <laughs> all right. What do you say, Joel? I say that uh, Captain Obvious is here. Obviously, Germany is the winner. I will add the following side note, which is, way to go, Wolfman. Get your opponent to argue himself out of his own win. Well played, sir. Well played. So... I don't think we've had too many big surprises so far. I don't know that this is going to change that, but I think that there are some great arguments on both sides here, and I'm really curious to see what Dave's going to come to the table with. Uh, this final matchup for this episode is South Korea versus Indonesia. Whew. You know, yeah. Indonesia is strong, but South Korea, wow, have they been amazing. Yeah, right, yeah. So this is a good one. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, and I agree. I think Indonesia is one of those films that's, or nations that's punching above its weight when we come to a competition like this. So I wouldn't be surprised to see an upset in that way if they weren't going against, in my opinion, the country that is making the absolute best horror of our time. Oh, it's, time. it's South Korea is just every time I see a South Korean film of the uh, that was released in the new millennium. It just blows me away yeah. every single time. And we did an episode on Korea or South Korea on, on LOTC. And I just saw one great movie after another. It's so amazing what they've yeah. been putting out. They really are. And I think the first South Korean film that I've been able to find that I thought was really significant was the housemaid from 1960, which I absolutely loved that film, but it's really been in the last, 
oh, 10 plus years, the 10 or so years that Korean horror has really shined, I think. I think if you're talking about the most kind of brutal horror, you can look at films like A Tale of Two Sisters or I Saw the Devil. If you're talking about some of the most fun horror, you could talk about films like The Host or Train to Busan. I think if you're talking about the most interesting culturally specific horror, you could look at films like Bedeviled or The Wailing. If you just want to talk about crazy out-of-the-box stuff, again, The Host is a good good candidate, but Thirst is another, like maybe one of the most wild vampire movies you'll ever see. And I think also worth bringing into the conversation is that South Korea is putting out also some of the best horror adjacent stuff too. If you're talking about thrillers and you're opening up that world, talk about the handmaiden, talk about parasite, talk about the yellow sea mother, mother. Yes. I mean, these are some of the best movies I've seen in the last decade. And I, you know, of course, memories of murder, an old boy being kind of the classics. But Mm -hmm. I think if you haven't seen any of those films, I just mentioned, you're doing yourself a great disservice, but there are also just these little quirkier films like uh, Svaha, the sixth finger, which I just think is a fantastic movie. Um, and then just more, even if you're like, oh, I don't like all that kind of weird foreign stuff. I just like more mainstream horror. I think you're still going to love like a zombie movie, like alive hashtag alive or the call from last year is a great film or time to hunt is a great film. That's just kind of like more of a mainstream horror movie. But I think the real strength of, or what, what was the found footage movie? Oh, uh, uh, yes, it's a fantastic, yes, it really is. The version of a uh found footage movie, it's not quite as out of the box to something like Thirst, but it is just a solid horror film. And yep. I think, um, but I think where South Korea really shines is just it bringing such a unique voice to horror that no one else is doing. So that's the stuff that gets me most excited by Korean horror, and I think they're just hitting it out of the park right now. I can't disagree. I can't disagree. Even something like, um, what was it? The Bluebeard. Oh, fantastic. That's yeah. another great movie. So, of course, I'm helping you. Yeah. Oh, no, but, ser- but seriously, like I did, yeah. I think I did a list of like the top 100 Korean uh, horror and thriller films. And there are, it was hard to choose. Like it's yeah. hard to narrow it down. I, I so believe many. it. I mean, South Korea has been amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah. In the new millennium, especially. Yeah. All right. all right, Dave. So I'm going to have Indonesia. Now, Indonesian horror has come into its own in, in recent years, much like South Korea, yeah. uh, with a handful of uh, pretty effective films. But there are a few older movies worth mentioning, at least, uh, starting with 1941, the movie Tenkarak Hidoep, which means a living skeleton, was released when the area was still known as the Dutch East Indies. Yeah. And it's about a vengeful god who uh, escapes his 2000 year captivity. Uh, there's 1962's uh, Badai Salatin, which was directed by a woman, actually, Sophia W.D., and entered into competition at the 12th Berlin International Film Festival that year. Uh, in 1979, we got the original Queen of Black Magic, the remake of which was released on Shudder earlier this year. Uh, hmm. 1981 saw Mystics in Bali, a supernatural horror film that focused on black magic. And in 19- I love that movie. And in 1982, we got the original Satan Slaves, which would be remade to great effect in 2017. Yes. Um, the original was directed by Siswaro Gautama Putra. Then in 1988, when Indonesian exploitation was in full swing, we got Lady Terminator, heavily influenced by James Cameron's Terminator, 
with a woman standing in for Schwarzenegger. Now, I have to read you the first paragraph of the synopsis for this movie on Wikipedia. Uh, By the way, I've seen Lady Terminator, and it's a hoot. Uh, The synopsis, the queen of the South Sea, an ancient sex goddess, seduces men before using a serpent that resides in her vagina to devour their penises. Wow. One man manages to grab the serpent, which turns into a dagger. Enraged, the queen curses the man's would-be great-granddaughter. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1989, an anthropologist named Tanya is, is investigating the legend of the Queen of the South Sea, which results in her diving to the Queen's resting place, being bound to a bed and violated by a serpent, which allows the Queen to take control of her. Um, okay, so <laughs> very much along the lines of the Arnold Schwarzenegger. Term. Yes, exactly. Okay. The, save the, the vagina and penises. Yeah. Um, uh, there were other late uh, 80s genre movies like The Devil's Sword and 1987's Virgins from Hell. They're not hard, but I've seen them both and their exploitation from Indonesia. And they're also a blast. Yeah. That takes us to the 2000s when Indonesian horror is knocking it out of the park. We have the very creepy May the Devil Take You from 2018 and its sequel, May the Devil Take You Two uh, from 2020. The first is the best. I'm pretty sure it made my top 10 that year. Uh, 2019's Impedigore. Yes. Uh, Macabre from 2009. The Witness from 2012. The Third Eye from 2017, which was pretty good. And uh, I'm going to stop there until we get to our uh, to our champion. So what is your champion, Josh, for, for South, South Korea? Korea? Yeah. Well, first of all, I want to say great job. And and actually, you're bringing in the exploitation films was so smart. And I wish I'd thought of that for the Philippines, because that has a very rich tradition. Of, yes, uh, it did, didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but man, I, I totally spaced that. So good job there. Um, just to try to fight you a little bit, um, I would say, you know, as I look at um, the breadth of quality of South Korean horror, you know, it's just so amazing. And Indonesia really is doing a fantastic job. But if you really look at it closely, you're really only talking about two directors mm. or the guys who are like doing all the work. And that's Jocko Anwar and Timo Tujanto, um, which are, they're fantastic filmmakers mm. and some of the best living, I think in their genres. But when I look at South Korea, it's so it's really hard to pick one because they're all so good. Now my heart tells me, pick one my favorite South Korean horror film, which I probably anyone who's been listening to the show for a week knows what that is already. Um, but, you know, I'm going to actually go above myself here and, and not say the Wailing and say that, you know, one of the biggest crowd pleasers of the last decade, I think, is Train to Busan. Oh. I think they just really captured what people love about zombies and even converted a lot of slow zombie fans with that movie and just you know this works this movie really really works uh, it, so. it is my my favorite it, it, i love it i love yeah. train to busan it's great i really thought you'd go with the whaling and that yeah. would be hard to beat because the whaling yeah. is an awesome film it really really is and that made my top 10 that year um but train to busan was my number one of yeah. that year it's just such a fun movie now, I've got to put it in the ring because I'm trying to I'm trying to have a knockout punch here. Yes. Even though I think the Wailing is the is one of the best movies ever. I think you know not everyone responds to it, but everyone responds. I've never seen anyone not like Train to Busan. Yeah, I love Train to Busan. I agree with you. All right, so the movie I'm going to go with for uh, Indonesia is uh, you said you mentioned Joko Anwar. It is his 2017 remake of Satan's Slaves which I think is a creepy, creepy movie. It really is. And uh, it was the 
It was seen by 4.2 million people in Indonesia and is the top grossing film of all time in that country and was nominated for 13 Citra Awards, which is the Indonesian equivalent, obviously, of the Academy Awards. It won seven of them for Best Cinematography, Best Art Direction, Visual Effects, Original Score, and Best Child Actor for Muhammad Adiyat, who played a mute six-year-old in that movie. Uh, it's a great movie. I think it's creepy as hell. And that's my choice uh, for Indonesia. This is a, but with South Korea, I mean, it's, it's, this is a, this is a David and Goliath uh, situation going it's on. It's a here. tough one. I think the, I think this is a tough matchup for Indonesia because I think it could have made it a lot further if it had mm-hmm. gone up against the Philippines or some of these other nations in its region. Yes. But yes, <clears throat> we'll see what the judge has to say. I'll tell you what the judge has to say. This is going to be a big, big upset. Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, I'm rechecking my notes. Uh, no, actually, it's a complete steal. It's obviously South Korea. Train to Busan, as you pointed out, both of you, is a hard, hard movie to beat, no matter what country South Korea would be up against. All right, well... I think there's been a lot of fun, Dave. Oh I yeah, this think, was a blast. Yeah, we'll move. We'll do this every episode at the end of the episode for a little bit until we get down to our our medalists uh, around the time of the actual Olympics at the end of the summer. Um, I think we'll probably move to a different region or a couple different regions for our, our next round of matchups. But each of mm-hmm. these films will move forward in their brackets, and we'll just keep narrowing things down. So <clears throat> I don't know, maybe South America and Africa for the next uh, Ooh, nice. round or something yes. like that. We'll see. Yes. We'll see. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Me too. This so, is this has been this has been a lot of fun. It really has. If anybody thinks we missed something major, and especially if we lost, if we lost for your favorite country, and you thought, why didn't you bring up this one? This was the thing. I usually hate comments, but like that. But in this case, I want to hear it. Where yeah. did we screw up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we looked into a lot. I, mean, I I delved into as much of these as I could. But even with that, you know that there's deeper. You can go deeper with yeah. with all of these countries because you know there are movies that are out there that might be masterpieces that yeah. we did, that we didn't mention. So I would love to hear it too. Please, you know, don't. You, this is not something where there's going to be like, um, you know, it's like, oh, you, you, we want to know. I'm with yeah. Josh. We want to know what movie did did we miss? Yeah, and what was the what's the and what's the argument that we didn't think of? Yeah, because I, I, you know, I love. I'm not a huge fan of. This is something that could have convinced me. I'm not a huge fan of action horror at all, and I don't like CGI in my horror too much. Mm-hmm. But I do think Night Watch and Day Watch from Russia are two oh, films yeah. that like would make me reconsider that. Yes, you know. Yes, and I I remember liking Night Watch more. Yeah, I just watched re rewatched Night Watch um, a couple nights ago, and I. I love it. I do. I, I think, wow, this is an amazing movie. Um, yeah. And I want to watch, rewatch uh, the, the, the sequel. I want to see Daywatch again um, just to just to see, because like I said, I like Nightwatch better. But why? Why is that? You know, it's been a long time since I've seen them both. So I want to see how I respond to Daywatch also. Are there any of the two of uh, the ones that I did, which were South Korea or uh, Spain or the two or, or Germany? Um, less of the Philippines. I'm curious, <laughs> are there any where you think I should have put in a different champion? 
like where you were, or you know, like he thought, oh, okay, that was the that was a that was a mistake. That was. A mistake. I I don't. You know what? I mean, the only thing I can think of with, with with Spain would be the original wreck, but I mean, wreck two is still a damn good choice. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have replaced any of your your champions for the other two. I mean, how about me? I mean, were you thinking of any different ones? I don't know enough about Finland, but the others, I thought you picked the exact right oh, cool. movie. So. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well done. All right. That was fun. Yeah, that was great. Well, that will bring us to the end of this episode. We hope you'll get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community by leaving a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all of our past episodes. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at horrormoviecast. You can also follow me personally on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. Read Dr. Shock's movie reviews at dvdinfatuation.com and follow him on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. You can also connect with him on Facebook, Letterboxd, or his YouTube channel. Doc also appears on Land of the Creeps Horror Podcast, and you can find the Gilman Joel Robertson podcasting at retromoviegeek.com, where they cover movies of all genres that are 20 years old or older. You can also follow Retro Movie Geek on Twitter at Retro Movie Geek or join the RMG Facebook group at Retro Movie Geek. And don't forget to listen to Joel on Terror on the Tube, where they cover horror television movies from the 70s and 80s. All of these links are easily accessible in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com. Please subscribe and leave a review for HMP at Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to us on Stitcher and Spotify. And don't forget to buy your listener-designed HMP t-shirts, mugs, stickers, and hoodies at horrormoviepodcast.com store. We'd like to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for creating our Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And don't forget to check out Kagan's Bloody Cabaret on YouTube, which I did with our friends Quinn Allman and Megan Joy. We'd also like to thank editor Joe Brunette for his work on this episode. Follow Joe on Twitter and Instagram at Joe Brunette and check out his app, On Set, Currently available on the Apple App Store. You can find Onset on Instagram and Twitter at Onset underscore app. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we hope you'll be back for our next episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.